In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the fourth Sunday of the Coptic month of Beba, and in the reading today, the Lord raises a young man who had died, um, who was the son of a widow, and he raises him from the dead during his funeral, and he's actually in the coffin, he raises him up from the dead. And this miracle was done in front of everyone. So everyone saw this is what happened. And I'm sure that there were um, Jews, of course, in that area, and then maybe there were also other people who were Romans who also either were there or had heard about this miracle happening. Um, and we can look and see how is it that this miracle would affect the people who see it. You know, a lot of times we speak about, and the common saying that says what seeing is believing. <clears throat> and a lot of times people that doubt, or even when we doubt, we look for a sign, or we look for some kind of indication that God is present, or that He is with us, or that He is real in the world, and so on, and doing different things so we could believe in Him. But if you look at the way that people might have responded to this miracle, we see that there's maybe six different ways that people react whenever they hear about something like this happening. People might hear that there's a miracle that happened. People might hear that there's something very strange and unexplainable or coincidental, something that points to something beyond their understanding. And certainly here, the idea of there being a funeral and a person who is dead in the coffin, raises, rises from the dead, is something that is going to be a very, very important event in the life of all the people who were present to see this. I mean, if you can imagine that we ourselves here as the Coptic community, we attend a funeral, and that during the funeral, the person who is inside the, the coffin actually rises up, opens the coffin, and gets up. This news would spread everywhere. Everyone would hear about this, and we would all be shocked and amazed at this event that happened. And it was no less at, at, at this time, at the time of Christ, that this is the miracle that happened. How is it that we can think that people might react to this? When we look actually in, in our own lives and we look in the society around us, we see there's very many ways that people might react whenever they hear something fantastic that happened like this. What are some of the ways that people might react? The first is some people will doubt it. Some people will doubt it. They will doubt the story completely, especially if there was someone who wasn't physically present, who didn't uh, see it with their own eyes. They just heard about it. Someone came and told them, did you hear that there was a funeral and the person who was there, the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> he touched the coffin and the person rose from the dead? And the person would say, no, I don't think this is actually a true story. I don't think this even happened at all. Maybe it was illusion. Maybe it was a misunderstanding. Maybe the person wasn't even dead to begin with. Maybe he was actually alive and everyone thought that he was dead. And so it so happened that he ended up coming back to life or he, he woke up during this, the, during this time. Um, the alternative to that is to believe that he really was dead and that he really did rise from the dead. And if a person is, is, does not want to believe this, if a person's worldview is such that this, something like this cannot happen, then they will try to find every reason to justify and explain it through their own understanding. And that brings us to the second point. So the first one is some people's reaction is they will just doubt that it happened at all. Other people will try to explain it in a scientific way. Okay, If they can explain it, then they don't need to accept the idea of a miracle. They don't need to accept the idea of the supernatural or the divine because if we can explain it in the kind of the, the terminology of the world or with our understanding of science and the world, then we don't have to accept God or the existence of God in order to uh, account for it. What are some ways actually that people explain different events that were recorded in the Bible to try to make sense of them? Some people say that the flood of Noah at the time of Noah was actually the melting of glaciers at the end of an ice age. 
people that don't want to believe that God actually sent the flood, they say, okay, it could have been the melting of glaciers. Um, the destruction of the walls of Jericho, it just so happened that there was an earthquake at the same time that God was telling the people to go and to walk around the city, and so it was a coincidence that there was an earthquake that happened. Some people explain the way that the Lord Jesus Christ walked on water is that there happened to be ice on the water, and he was walking on this ice, and nobody noticed it. And so the people thought he was walking on the water, but actually it wasn't a miracle at all. He was walking on the ice. How is it that the, the Red Sea was parted into two? Well, actually, there was a very strong wind, and the area that they were crossing was very, very shallow, so it didn't take so much wind in order for them to be able to cross. This is an explanation that we can hear. What about a person being demon-possessed? How is it that we can explain demon possession? It's actually a psychological disorder. It's not actually an evil spirit because some people don't believe in evil spirits. It's just a psychological disorder and, and, and some mental illness that the person has. So some people, whenever they are presented with something that is very difficult to explain, something that the scripture actually attributes to God that is miraculous, if we do not want to accept it, some people, their reaction to this is they just come up with some scientific explanation and they're satisfied with this. Even if they don't have a full understanding, they say, you know what, I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to figure out exactly, but you know, I'm sure there is some scientific explanation for it and so I don't have to um, have all of, the, all of the details. Some people's <coughs> reaction is they would follow Christ after seeing such a miracle, but maybe they would follow him for the wrong reasons, right? Maybe they follow Christ because they think following Christ is all about miracles. Following Christ is all about the supernatural. Following him is all about the demonstration of supernatural power and that when we are with Christ, we are going to be like uh, magicians and everything that we do is going to work and everything that we say is going to be powerful and everyone is going to respect us and everything that we want to have in our life, we will be able to achieve. They don't look at it from the perspective that actually Christ said about Christianity is a life of discipleship and a life of self-sacrifice and a life of carrying the cross. They don't look and see when the Lord said, count the cost if you want to be a disciple because this is a difficult life. Instead of looking at what the Lord actually said about what does it take for us to follow him, they see that this is just a life of power and prestige and miracles and so on. And so this is what excites them. This is what gets their attention. So when they see someone like the Lord Christ, he's raising someone from the dead. Maybe for a time they want to follow him and they want to follow him. Why? Because they want to partake of this life. Um, the Lord actually rebukes the people um, who were fed in the miracle of the 5,000, the people, the 5,000 men who were fed um, by the multiplication of the five loaves and two fish. It says in John chapter 6, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. The idea that these people, after they were fed by the Lord Jesus Christ, they continued to follow after him. And when he left that place, they sought after where he was. But the Lord calls them out and he says, you are seeking after me, not because you want a life of discipleship, not because you want to submit your will to God, not because you want a life of repentance, but only because you were fed and you saw this miracle. And if you hang out with me, maybe you will be fed again and maybe you will see more miracles. So even those who are seeking him, but they were seeking him with the wrong motive. They were seeking him because of what they could gain for themselves. We also hear about the prosperity gospel, 
which is the teaching that anyone who is a believer, the Lord will bestow upon him or her wealth and riches and power and success and accomplishments and so on. And then that is the reward that God gives to those people who are faithful. Again, this is the same message. If you follow Christ, what should you expect? You should expect wealth and health and all these material blessings. Again, this is not the reason why we should be following Christ. We should follow him to submit our will to him. And the life he himself called us to be maybe is filled with persecution. Maybe it's filled with trials and some kinds of suffering. Do we only accept for him the good and reject what is not? Or do we accept it all together? So this is the third reason why maybe some people will, um, how, how they will react to Christ, how they will react to the truth. Some people will believe, but they will only believe for a certain period of time. They will grow weary eventually and turn away quickly and they will lose focus. Their stumbling block here is the necessity for patience. Many people, when they first embark on something new, specifically let's talk about in the spiritual life, they will enter into it with a lot of zeal. They will enter into it with a desire to read the entire Bible. They will enter into it with a desire to fast all the fasts and maybe even more fasts than what the church is saying that we should fast. And they will want to pray all of the prayers and they will want to attend every liturgy and they will want to attend vespers and midnight praises. Some people when they, when they, when it kind of the, the spark lights in their heart that they want to um, submit themselves to God, they want to live a godly life, they begin to try to do everything. And at the beginning of this process, everything is light and easy and feels good. It feels like God is supporting their spiritual struggle and that it doesn't actually feel like a struggle at all. Everything they're doing is joyful. Everything they're doing feels wonderful. But at some point, this initial honeymoon phase with God begins to fade away and what we are left with is a decision that we have to live disciplined. We have to choose every day to live and to make good decisions even if my heart is telling me otherwise even if my heart does not want me to wake up even if my heart does not want me to pray even if my heart does not want me to forgive my enemies even all the struggles that then we face as christians the day-to-day -day life of christianity after this honeymoon phase is over this is where the true test of faith is it is not at the beginning it is not at the beginning when everything seems so nice and easy it is not the one who begins well, but it is the one who ends well. In Mark 13, it says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. The one who endures. So even as we um, are embarking on this spiritual life and we are, we are trying to, um, to do the right thing and we're trying to submit our will to God and we are trying to spend more time in doing spiritual activities and to grow closer and closer to God even as we do this we have to be sober and understanding that this is a lifelong decision this isn't a decision that I make for a day or for a week this is something that I'm choosing to live I'm choosing to live and, and sometimes those who are catechumens in the church those people who are coming to join the Orthodox Church um, they don't understand this. They believe that orthodoxy is just a set of beliefs, a set of doctrines, that if I believe a certain set of doctrines, then I am orthodox. Or if I am baptized, well, yes, then that makes me to be orthodox. But orthodoxy is a life. It is not just a set of beliefs. It's not something that happens on one day of my life and then I am orthodox. Orthodoxy is a, is a decision every day to live a certain way to have a certain worldview and to act in a certain way and to to submit to god in a certain way this is the orthodox life it is not just 
something that happens for a short period of time. And it's oftentimes something that I cannot combine with something else. I cannot take orthodoxy and make it compatible with a worldly life. I cannot have the worldly life and at the same time adopt a certain set of doctrines and say I am orthodox. This is not what orthodoxy is. Orthodoxy is a life. It is a lifelong struggle. So we have a need for patience and perseverance to the end. And this is the struggle. This is what makes it difficult. And in any endeavor, even when you think about like a career, anyone can you know, be excited about a career at the beginning when you, know, you, you start out. But are you still going to be excited about the career after 30 years? Are you still going to have that same energy, that same zeal? Are you still going to be working? Maybe, of course, it feels different. But those people who are truly successful are the ones that remain committed to what they have chosen to the very end. Even if they don't have the same excitement that they had on day one, it is not about excitement. Success does not come from excitement. Success comes from perseverance, to persevere all the way to the end. A fifth way that some people might react to the truth is they will take it on the level of communicating the news. They want to, they, this is an exciting thing that happened. Did you hear what happened? That the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he raised someone from the dead in a funeral. And they're so excited to tell other people about it. And they want to tell, and they want people to know, right? But when it comes to their own, um, how does this affect your life? How, what decisions am I gonna make differently now? Am I going to change anything as a result of this event that happened? No. I'm, I'm not really, that's not really my focus. My focus is something exciting happened and I want to tell people about it and I want people to know, you know, and it's, a, it's like a subject of conversation. Um, the, uh, the Athenians, the Greek philosophers at the time of St. Paul, it says about them in Acts 17, for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. As though all they cared about was ideas. If you tell me new ideas, I contemplate it, I meditate on it, that's interesting, let's discuss it, let's have a debate. But that's all it was. It was just the level of debate. It was just the level of discussion, of interesting ideas, of the philosophies of the day. And even the words that they would take of St. Paul to be speaking, they took it as this is something new to us, we haven't heard this before. How many of them then went a step further and began to explore it seriously and began to really search and see if this was true? and then to accept it for themselves. They heard the preaching of St. Paul as just some interesting news, that's something that's happening, something that's gonna get me away from the boring philosophies that I've already heard of, and it's something exciting and something new. That's all that they were doing. That's all they were interested in. So also some people, when they hear about a miracle happen, instead of thinking, if this really is true, if this really does happen, what does it mean? What does it mean for me? <coughs> what does it mean about reality? Does it mean that God really exists? Does it mean that God really is calling me to a certain life? Does it really mean that there is a heaven and a hell? How is it that I should change my life as a result of this news? Not just immediately think to myself, well, I better tell someone. Because that's the only thing that comes to, that comes to my mind. The last point I want to mention is how, how people respond to the truth or react to the truth. Is Some people will actually believe and change their lives. This is where we want to be. When we hear the truth, when we see the truth, you know, we had like a 13-week series about the book, The Orthodox Afterlife. And one thing that really like struck me about the book is that if we truly believe everything that's written in that book, if we really believe what's written in that book, then none of us should stay the same. N none of us should be the same. Everything about that makes heaven so crystal clear to make us see 
heaven and hell to make us see ourselves to make us see the physical world and the spiritual world to understand the the you know the judgments of god in a way and to see what's go what is it we are expecting to happen to us um, after this life if truly we believe all of these things then it, it has to result in some kind of change something that's happening in us we don't read this book or or hear about these things just because it's interesting or just because we want to communicate it to other people or just because it's a new novel idea. We read it so that we can know how to live. And, and, and that is why we read it. That is why we, we learn. That is why we study. That's why we learn more about God. Not because we want to teach others. Not because we think it's interesting to know. Because we want to know how to live. How is it that I need to live for my salvation? In Matthew 13, 23, it says, But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. This is from the parable of the sower. Those people who are the good ground are the ones who receive the word, and then the word just doesn't sit there on the surface, but it implants itself deep inside and begins to take root and to grow. And this is when really we become mature in our faith. Mature in our faith because we are taking what we know, what we learn, and we are applying it, and we are growing deeper and deeper. So in conclusion, the way that we respond is very important. And the way that we respond is often very much related to our intrinsic biases. What is it that I really want to be true? And even when we say that we want to know the truth, what we really want is that what we are ready to believe to be the truth. Because then it requires no change. It's the easiest. If the way that I already live and what I already believe is the truth, wonderful. That means I don't have to do anything. That means I'm already on the right track, doing 100% right in every way. This is why we are resistant to new ideas like this. This is why we're resistant. If, if, if there is something that happens that conflicts with the way that I already live, we are re maybe resistant to change because it takes energy and effort for us to reorient our life or our, th our thoughts to a new way of believing and a new way of living. So each of us has to ask ourselves, you know, are, are we open to the truth? Are we open to what God says about us? When we stand before God and God tells us about who we are and he says to us, you did this, this, and this, and this, and this is you need to work on this, this, and this, what is it that my response is? Do I respond and say, yes, Lord, I will, I will sacrifice, I will change, I will work, I will, I will abandon the things that are sinful in my life, I will struggle to forgive those people that I have not forgiven. I will struggle to keep my eyes from lust. I will struggle to love my enemy. Are all those things that when we realize them about ourselves, are we going to take action and change them? Or are we actually trying to avoid these things? Sometimes we know that there is something inside that needs to be changed, something that's not right, and yet we avoid it. We distract ourselves. We don't want to pay attention to it. We pretend like it's not there because change is hard. And yet, some things that the Lord does, like today in this miracle of raising this man, there is no way to avoid it. This God, this man, he is the creator of heaven and earth, and he is the one who holds life in his hand. And he gives life and he takes it away. And this man is the one who, who gave us a recipe of how to live. He told us who he is and what he wants us to do. So our only response then can be, yes, I will, I will live this way because of who you are. It doesn't matter whether I like it or not. It doesn't matter whether I think it makes sense or not. The fact that the Lord said so, and he is the creator of heaven and earth, I must submit because he is the truth. 
and who am I to argue with him? So we cannot argue with God. God reveals himself to us, and it is then up to us to change and to conform ourselves to that truth that he, um, he, he, he expresses. This is like Zacchaeus and Levi. Zacchaeus, whenever he saw the Lord Jesus Christ coming, and the Lord came and dined with him, he immediately changed his life. He said, I will, I will pay back anyone who I've taken money falsely and, 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 and restore all of that again. And Levi, whenever he was in his tax office and the Lord came and said, come and follow me, he left his life and he came and followed. We have to ask ourselves, are we like them? Are we like them? If the Lord were to come to us and, I sa and say, I want you to leave behind these things. I want you to leave behind this sinful lifestyle that you have. I want you to leave be behind these wrong thoughts. I want you to leave behind these people that are not beneficial to you. What is our response? Is our response going to be, yes, Lord? Or is our response going to be like the rich young ruler who walks away sad because he had such attachment to his money and he couldn't leave it behind? So this is something for us. When the Lord reveals his truth to us, how is it that we respond to him? May God grant us always to respond with wisdom and humility and glory be to God forever. Amen.